This is Thank You Heartbreak. Hi, everyone. I'm Chelsea Lee Trescott. As a breakup coach, relationship advice columnist, and the founder of Break Upward, Chelsea is passionate about human beings and their stories. She talks to people about their journeys in love, growth, heartbreak, revelations, and every wound and lesson along the way. This podcast shines a light on heartbreak, showing you that the most crushing experiences are also your greatest opportunity to become meaningful, relatable human beings. Now, let's get to the heart of it. Hi, everyone. This is Chelsea Lee Truscott, breakup coach and podcast host of Thank You Heartbreak. And this is episode 209 with Patrick J. Clark. To skip this intro and go right into the conversation, go to somewhere around the 16 and a half minute mark, 16 minutes, 30 seconds, that vicinity. Otherwise, I dare you to listen and forgive me for all I'm about to say. (sighs) That is my deep exhale. The three words that come to me right before I was pushing record was, Keep me honest. Keep me honest. It was like such a priority in my life to let people in on how I really am. I want to be so honest with you guys about where I've gone, why I've disappeared. I want to be honest with myself. Like what has tapped me away from this mic, away from sharing, away from putting this episode out there. Someone that prides herself on just exposing it all. Have I been hiding? And I think I have been. I think it's been such a humbling last months for me to be in this position of recognizing myself, having this accountability for the things that I say. It's so much more than writing when I would just write something and I would explore the moment and the meaning behind it. And then I would put it out into the world and it was there. I didn't have to touch it again. I didn't have to read over it. I didn't have to hear it really back. But when I say something on a mic now, I have to play it over and over and over. The things that I believed in challenge me now. Was I right about them? (laughs) Often not. And so I hear myself say these things that I was desiring, that I thought it was going to go a certain way, and it didn't, and it guts me. Oh, God, I was so foolish. Another gut, another just like knife to me, like, oh, how ridiculous you are for believing such a thing. Shouldn't I have known better? Or I hear myself say something else, and I'm so excited about it. Or, oh, my God, I'm talking about that again. I'm talking about that guy again. I'm making him mean so much. And I realize something that's two-sided. For so long, I wanted to feel excitement again. I wanted to feel naturally hyped up, to not be using drugs to elevate me. And here I'm elevated naturally and I listen to it over and I'm judging myself. I'm embarrassed by it. It's absurd. I realize that I've always thought I was the most vulnerable person in the room. I would share anything. I'll go there. I'll be deep. And in the moment, I think I can be. I believe that. But again, in hearing it back, it's like, oh my God, it makes me squirm. It's almost too much for me right now to hear the excitement, to hear that, oh, 
I was so serious about that person. It's almost like, why am I embarrassed by that? Because I would think I was being dumb for being serious, for caring, for wanting so badly to believe, for being attached for a while. And it's like this double-sided, like, ah, oh, this pull, this tug of wars from wanting to allow myself to be human, and to be in it, and to feel and explore those feelings and to make it mean something, to build it up in a way. And then the other side, to recognize maybe what it really was all along. And there's tension between those two things of talking back over something or talking through something. And again, having that belief and then realizing later, as I'm editing it, that my beliefs have changed, that people change, the people I'm talking about change, the dynamic changed, I changed. In a way, it's like this tough pill to swallow because I put myself out there, I put my story's out there, and then I'm afraid, I guess, afraid that someone's going to hear it and think that's all I am. Or I hear it and I think, oh my God, I can't believe I am still that way. And so in this process of having a podcast, of being accountable to myself, I also am realizing that there's something within me that is trying to break upward. And I'm handling this. I'm handling feeling myself trying to ascend to new heights within myself, but still hearing myself talk in ways that I want to stop talking or talking about things and doing things that I no longer want to do. Here's an example. In this episode, I talk about not being much of a giver. I use the word selfish quite a few times, being selfish in bed. I edited this part out, but I'll just tell you. I talk about having unprotected sex, about not being safe. And I hear it back just the fact that I can say it feels embarrassing, that I'm aware that I'm being negligent, maybe toward others, but certainly with myself. It feels childish. Or maybe in a way it's like, okay, I'm being honest. Really? I'm a selfish person? And so knowing this about myself, I've been 33 years old, I certainly know how I show up to a degree. But hearing myself say it, it's like, oh my God, how could I say that? How could I be that? Do I need to grow up? And so it's these moments within myself of having a podcast and again, hearing yourself back and being accountable and talking to different people that bring out different stories in you. And maybe you show a shade of yourself here and then asking, is it time to let that side of myself shift? How much of this do I want to keep on bringing into my next episodes, which really means how much do I want to keep bringing into my life? The episodes are a documentation of my world in a way, of my mind in a way. And so I've been catching myself. I feel like over 200 episodes, my patterns, my hangups, my beliefs, my ego. And it's like, dear God, someone challenged me. And I think my guest did. And I think that's the beauty. I think in a way that is what felt uncomfortable about listening to it back. I feel like we're so alike. Like There's so many ways, especially in hearing it back. It's crazy because when you're in the moment, you're connecting, right? And, and obviously you're building off of each other because you are connecting. But how many times have you listened to a conversation of yours back? Many of us don't get to. 
unless we have a podcast. So I have like this privilege of listening to moments where I felt very connected back and thinking to myself, oh my God, I didn't catch all the ways that we were connecting. Or my God, if I had just dropped down this wall, we could have gotten further. And I bear that responsibility in a way, and I bear it because I want to be better at it, because I want to go deeper with people, because I want to be more honest. And I forgot where I was going with that. And so in an effort not to begin this intro over, I'm just going to keep going. Here's something that I wrote as I was listening and editing. I said, I listened to this back and realized how much is in our heads. And it's so humbling. It's gutting even. Because you realize that you're making everything mean something about you when it's not about you. My ego has such a hard time accepting this. I've left in these sidebar comments of mine that actually embarrass me. Admissions that feel so self-indulgent are the very admissions that lead to stunning insight from my guest. It's almost like I had to be the person who said that in order for my guest to say this. I don't think we would have gotten there otherwise. And so I guess what I am practicing is a little bit more grace, some self-compassion, stop being so critical. Yes, we can all say indulgent things, or maybe it's just things that we needed to bear. Maybe that's a vulnerability. I needed to say that at the time. There's a part of me that's just aching to speak this, to share this with someone. And here I did it. And and because I did that, because I threw that out there, now my guest and I got somewhere else. We got to the real heart of the matter. And so sometimes we have to risk ourselves. Sometimes we have to say things that we wish we could take back and thank God we said them because it brought the conversation somewhere else. And so I think it's a big thing that I encourage in life is to be the one that risks, to reveal yourself, to risk it. And I think when you hear it over, there becomes like that, oh my God, there's consequences here and risking everything. You know, like in the moment when I'm with people, I don't think about any of the risks. I don't regret any of it. But in hearing it back, I think, God, did I really have to say that? Did I really have to share myself in that manner? And as I'm saying this to you right now, it hits me. Here is my revelation. Is that these interviews, my guests, because they have enabled and been a part of such growth and vulnerability, they have felt, especially at a time when I wasn't dating, like many dates. And so kind of like each episode, each guest, I hear it back and I'm like going back to the scene of a relationship and being like, oh, I could have explored our connection differently. I could have listened better. I could have made it less about myself. I shouldn't have shown that side of myself. It's like when you're dating. I wish they could have seen this side of me. I wish I hadn't showed that. I wish I hadn't given this confession. Now they're going to think of me this way. I should never have said I was selfish in bed. Now they'll never sleep with me. It's kind of like the same idea. And the reality is that If you are learning what to do and how to adjust to be better and to really grow into yourself, then you can forgive yourself more easily. And I think that I haven't been forgiving myself because I've been seeing where I keep showing up the same. And the same is no longer good enough for me. So I think there's just a call 
to expand myself. And my guests have been like many dates, many an hour of this deep, expedited learning about each other. I swear, it really feels like these little dates. Realize is it's vulnerable to let it matter. And it's embarrassing to get it wrong. Talk about it in this episode of like not wanting to tell other people that you're dating someone yet or that you're up for this new job until you have it, until you're certain of it. Because if you tell people and it goes away, are they going to make fun of you? And so it's the same thing when I go back and I'm editing. I'm like, oh my God, I got that wrong. And it's embarrassing for myself. So it's upsetting when we see ourselves in unflattering light too. But I realized that I revealed myself in those ways and we reveal ourselves on dates, even though if later we want to take it back because we are aching to connect. And we say things because we need to release them. We bring something up because we want to explore. We want to exhale. Just like I did when I started this episode. I wanted to exhale. I wanted to accept. I wanted to let it out. I wanted to be present I wanted to stop being in my head, which this episode is about. So yes, just like I do with these episodes and just like we do in dating, we look back and we wish we had connected differently or said it differently or sounded better or made ourselves look better. We wish we hadn't risked so much or we wish we had risked even more. Risked, I can barely say the word. More we would have gotten further along. Either way, it's all good though. Again, it's all good if we're aware of how we need to be adjusting. Revealing helps us release and risking ourselves helps us gain clarity. All of this, seriously, even if it's uncomfortable, especially if it's uncomfortable, it's supposed to be. We do all of this to grow up and grow into ourselves. To break upward is uncomfortable. It's a breaking process. But if there's one belief that I don't think I'll turn my back on, that I will always circle back to and fall back on, but not turn my back on. It's that all these little confessions that irritate me. And these moments when you're on dates and you're dating people and you're like, why did I show up like that? I was so defensive. I wasn't vulnerable enough or I was too vulnerable. All of it, all of that questioning is part of the quest to connect to be in alignment with each other and really to be in alignment with our most empowered, most honest self. And so even though it can irk you and you can want to take it back and do it differently, this is what it takes to break upward. And if you're questioning it, that means you're on the quest and it's all worth it. It's all worth it. Ah, it makes me emotional. It's worth it because... What's beneath everything is the purest intention of all, and that is to connect with each other in the most honest way, to be seen and forgiven through our struggles, to be known, and honestly, not to feel criticized over it, but to feel connected because of what we've shared, and even respected because we took the risk to share ourselves, to let ourselves be known to hand ourselves over in order to initiate real, honest, sincere, life-changing, transformative soul connection. One last thing, my guest ended up reaching out after our conversation to the man that had ghosted him. 
and he listened to some of the advice that we were going back and forth on about ways in which he could actually invite his ghoster to respond. And it worked. So when you're listening to this, keep that in mind and, you know, dare yourself, dare yourself to be more honest. Use that honesty, even if it's sadness, being honest about your sadness, your confusion, not to put other people on the defensive, but to invite them to help provide clarity so you can free yourself. I would love for you to introduce yourself to my audience. Yeah, I'm Patrick J. Clark. I'm an actor born and raised in Pittsburgh, now living in New York, kind of balancing between the two. That's who I am. I'm excited for this. It's the beginning of who you are now to discover more. I love that you have a notebook. I do. I like to take notes. This is my journal. I've been through a lot in the past three years, so I feel like it's hard to look back and read old journals. But it's also so rewarding to see the growth since then. Is the idea that you would look back on it? Or is it just to have it all along to be I think it's just to get my thoughts on paper and to get out of my head. Has anyone ever read it? No. you were seen? No. Do they know? And if you're implying that you want to read it, I'm not going to let you. Yeah, you're not going to read it. I mean, it's not that deep. It's just a lot of like self reflection. Anytime I was feeling heartbroken, I would write in it. Anytime. I just like needed to clear my head. I would just write in it. I think writing is so good for you. Mm -hmm. Just like speaking it out into existence. It's very similar to that. Deal when you are going through heartbreak and your emotions feel so disorganized. I mean, people are always looking for answers, right? So if you don't have that sense of clarity, how do you handle that? That's something I'm still trying to figure out, Mm -hmm. especially the past few months trying to date during a pandemic. I've been so in my head And it got to the point a few weeks ago where I signed up for therapy for the first time, Mm -hmm. got rid of that negative stigma. And it's been it's been kind of helpful so far. What do you mean kind of helpful? Just to talk to someone like this journal, just to get Mm. everything in my head, all the confusion, all the pain, the heartbreak, just to get it out into the world. And that has also helped me like reflect on what was in my head. I don't know how to deal with it. It's a never-ending process for me, mm-hmm. and it's also why I'm here. So you had this journal, and you thought that you had been processing things through that. So going through the heartbreaks, you always relying on that since 2017. And yes. then you realized something recently, I guess through the pandemic, that you needed something more, like you needed someone to go to, or was it that you needed more guidance and you felt like you couldn't guide yourself? Definitely. I think it was more that I needed guidance. Mm-hmm. I needed a specialist to tell me what's going on, how to deal with these feelings. Because I can write everything down. I can write music. I can get as creative as I want with what I'm feeling. Mm -hmm. But if I'm not talking to someone, if I'm not actively trying to get over those feelings or fully understand them, then I feel like it's not super beneficial. Mm. Like you're not a writer in this sense, because this is what I feel like. I start with something, I begin writing, and it takes me somewhere else. Like I don't know what I know until I start writing about it. Uh, so like after a relationship, my last one, I really have avoided writing about it because I wasn't ready to really see through it. I wasn't yeah. ready to say goodbye to it. And I thought that writing would push me into this awareness that changed my mind about things. Mm-hmm. It sounds like what you're saying you're writing is that it's 
saying what you're feeling right now, but it's not trying to analyze through writing like deeper. It's getting it out, but it's not trying to make sense of it. Yes, definitely. Uh, like I was on the on the subway the other day, just writing music. I don't know that it was the healthiest to reminisce on past mm-hmm. dates or relationships and to like write lyrics based on what I experienced. It felt like I was putting out good work through my pain. Do you think that there's any chasing or like this dependency on actually having pain and having shock in your life in order to bring out this new art or to actually connect, have something universal, something that people can actually feel? Like, do you think that there's this feeling, I actually need things to go wrong? Not at all. Yeah, I feel like I would be so much more creative if I was happy and so in love and things were going super well in my life. And I I think using my creative outlet is like a coping mechanism for me. Definitely. I think many artists and actors are that way as well, which acting isn't therapy, but it can become that way depending on what we're going through. I told you before we got on about how I was starting to date an actor. Mm -hmm. I was shocked when I first met him. And how uncertain he seemed because I was like, oh, as an actor, there'd be so much certainty in the self. And what I started to see through him, like maybe there's not, especially as a method actor, he's good at becoming a character that's slightly related to him, but he's not, hasn't become himself yet. Do you see that at all in the acting world? Absolutely. I feel like we use these characters to hide behind, but I think the best actors are the ones that use their vulnerabilities to produce good work. Like when they just strip down their entire wall and are playing their authentic self through that character. Mm. I love acting because it helps me find myself through a character. It allows me to be more vulnerable and to understand who I am as a person when I get rid of reality. And then how do you integrate it afterwards into the real world? Uh, I don't know the answer to that. I would like to think that after being in a show, after playing a role that I've grown and understood myself more, I I guess I haven't thought about that on a deeper level, how I integrate that character into my life. Or like if the character made you bolder, right? Yeah. And you're Mm -hmm. like, you know what? I really like that. Like, I love being outspoken. How would you then make sure that you're integrating the aspect that you really liked about that character? Since you have that, you've seen how to do it. Yeah. How do you integrate it into who Patrick is on the streets? You know? Yeah. That would be... Something to think about next time, whenever things open up again. Is there a heartbreak to that? There was, like the first month of the pandemic living here, the first few months, I ended up going home to quarantine for like five months, and I was the happiest I ever was. I was finding joy every single day. I was excited to wake up in the mornings, and I felt okay without theater, without constantly pushing myself to be vulnerable. It's such a difficult industry, like many others, and to just have that freedom and not think about responsibilities was a blessing for me. I absolutely miss acting and putting myself out there and going through that chaotic process, but it's kind of been a blessing to sit back and focus on myself and be patient and just learn about who I am and the many possibilities that are to come. I love that you're just owning that there a blessing in all of this. Absolutely. I mean, we're going through hell right now. (laughs) Everyone is. But I think there are so many positives to come out of this pandemic. 
I was telling you that with, and it's not involved at all emotionally, like your type of acting is, but with background acting, going back to it after the pandemic, shocked to see the person I had had to have become in order to keep on that circus. And I didn't realize at the time with acting that so many people I was around, so it always felt social, like it was fulfilling this social aspect. Then there was all these guys I got to banter with all day, so it fulfilled need in the feeding off of men. Mm -hmm. I wasn't sexual at all during this time, so I didn't have that. (laughs) But like, I wasn't at all. It was crazy. And you're being like, you know, made up. You're going to these different locations. So I felt like I had a life, basically. And then the pandemic hits and I realized, whoa, that was like actually fake. That wasn't really, I never really integrated into New York. Okay. Yeah. And then I'm the same way. And then how do I take the social that I was finally getting from background and apply it to my real life when the world has shut down? Thank God that this stopped and that I could stop doing that background acting that was all night because yeah. it, it was allowing me to avoid social aspect, dating aspect, crazy. A blessing, right? To just be able to like relax for a second. Because I don't think that I would have done it. I think it's so easy for the years to go by. Especially in New York. Where How do you say that? Well, just where everything's always on the go. You know, living here for three years, I mean, being in and out for some gigs, it beats you down and you just constantly feel like you have to keep going. And I think like towards the start of the pandemic where I didn't have things to do, there was so much anxiety that I was like, oh my God, I need to get things done to the point where I was making to-do lists every day. I was trying to get into a routine just to like keep that busyness internally. But once I got past that and was able to just like relax, focus on myself, take some time off. learned a lot it was like this tyrant in me saying that like if i didn't finally produce that i don't deserve to do it it's never going to get done and it was just like this harsh voice of this needs to be the most productive time in my life thank god i got over that because it seems like i had something similar to what you had what i love about your aspect too is that you're at your parents house because i feel like there can be guilt when you're around your parents that you need to be showing them that you're taking this shit seriously like how is that not the case yeah. for you no it was a little bit that way too and you know you have the pressure of your parents saying like oh you got to look for a job you got to right. do this and it's like i can't everything's shut down <laughs> um i'm at the point now yeah. like how many months later almost a year later where i'm working remotely which is amazing mm-hmm. and i'm blessed to have that even on social media, you still felt that way. Like you had to act happy. You had to like show that you were doing something. And at one point I started a blog during the pandemic just to show like, oh, look what I cooked today. Look what I'm wearing today, even though I'm stuck inside. Mm. There was still that internal feeling of like having to show that I'm doing something. But regardless of that, I knew that what I was doing on my own time was fulfilling that void. I don't know if you ever feel this way, but like with stories, you know, this feeling of who's looking and the idea that if they're looking, that they care about me, they're trying to take in my life. Mm -hmm. And I would create these narratives around people's behaviors with it. And I remember being so attached to it. And I said, I have to stop for a few days. And I realized that that was all false attention. No one ever reached out to me and said, what's going on? And then the more I would ask people, because I was so hooked on it, so many people, I mean, absolute majority said that they're not intentional at all when they watch stories. It's OCD. They have to watch all the stories that they're mm-hmm. not selective. Yeah. And here I built a narrative about And that makes you feel great, right? No, not at all. I'm the same way. I went through two months of deleting all of my social media. Mm-hmm. 
I felt so good. I felt so free. I didn't have to worry about what people thought all the time. And recently after going on a few dates with someone and now being ghosted, I'm constantly checking. I'm back on social media because he's active on Instagram and I'm constantly scrolling, clicking on my story to see who's watching it to make sure that he viewed what I'm posting. And that's the only way to get his attention right now. And I hate that I'm so addicted to seeing who is watching things because I know most of those people don't care to see what I'm posting. It's just a habitual addiction based scroll. Do you have this though that, and I didn't realize how it translated to social media, but I used to do this in my long distance relationships where I had this fear that if I did one thing wrong, like if Mm -hmm. I cried too much or if I wasn't this enough, that it would ruin everything. And I realized that, wait a second, no one has ever showed me that they do that to me. I do that to me. One moment I'm like my biggest fan, the next moment I cut myself down. So then on social media, how it has translated is I'd start thinking, oh my God, maybe I overshared on that one. Maybe like I was too much in that video. Maybe I overdid it this time. Yeah. And becoming addicted to, are they looking? And if they don't look or if they exit out, what did I do that was too much? Right you make yourself the victim every time. I do the same thing. And I feel like I overanalyze every little thing to the point where I feel like I'm a villain. When it's completely out of my control. You don't know how the other person is feeling. You have to have those open, difficult conversations to understand, like, what did I do wrong? Or is it just on them? Is it something that they're going through? There was this guy that I was very, you know, the first guy that I became into in a long time. And he constantly, every time I posted something, he immediately saw. And you get that bolt of, bolt of, of like adrenaline. Chasing it. Like, I felt like I was chasing it, like constant overkill. And it was probably like to not his attraction at all, but he kept on showing that he was looking. Long story short, he had muted me okay. and it like broke me. Oh. <laughs> right. And so then he said, he wants to talk to me about something. And he told me that he had fallen in love. And now I've become his confidant. And what's crazy (laughs) is seeing him talk about him viewing the stories and if she views and like the game that he plays. And we got to finally talk why he muted me and all the things that I was freaking out. Like I was the stuff I was putting out just because he was going to watch it. Yeah. And then going through the experience because I haven't dealt with this in so long. Going through the fucking experience. It's so embarrassing of just like they're not looking. Oh my God, they're over me. What did I do? Yeah. And I finally got to find out why he stopped looking. Why, why did he stop? One thing was that he had started seeing this other girl and he felt like it was really unfair to continue to have his attention on me, that it had become too much. And it just was distracting him. Just to watch your him. story? This could be the addict in him and maybe the addict in us. Is that him watching actually was like he was consuming me. Like he was taking everything in. It wasn't as passive as everyone made me out. Like when I would talk to people about it, they'd say, he doesn't care. Mm -hmm. No, he read everything that I wrote. He actually, when he watches it. He wanted to learn more about it. Yeah, That's so sweet. I feel like nobody ever does that though. I think he sees it as an extension of this person. Do you feel like that's healthy for him, someone like him to continue to build that relationship through social media, learning more about someone just from social media. Do you think that's I'm embarrassed because I said I would stop. I stopped interviewing after I was talking about him too much, making these assumptions. And now I'm back. doing. (laughs) 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 It's just like this happens. Um, So these are all assumptions. 
Do I think it's healthy for someone like him? I think what ends up happening during a time when we're trying to date each other, he's consuming so much of me away from me and learning about me that he doesn't have to see me. And I've been warned right. of that by someone like that you oversaturate someone in dating. But also it's like there is this false idea because I'm also someone that shares with writing that he is not only seeing what I'm doing, but hearing about me. Never has asked me the questions. I think you do have to be careful of social media. You build a relationship where you feel like you're getting close to them and you're having a connection. Mm-hmm. You're building up that expectation of them. You're trying to complete this picture. Right. This is how we idealize people falsely is what I learned. And it was from asking him too about what did you like about this girl? And he goes, I liked who I was when I was with her. And I think a lot of the times we think it's these qualities. If I put these pictures up, people are going to associate me with this quality. And that's what people are falling for. So I just need to show that I'm like, whether it's ambitious, thoughtful, like, you know, pictures of me working out, whatever it is, like that's going to complete the picture. That doesn't ultimately translate to someone choosing you in a relationship because what they're choosing is really the energy that they feel, like how they feel like you make them feel and bring them out to be. And I think social media doesn't allow for that interaction. So it's Mm -hmm. all in our head. It's all fake. People, they don't want to show feelings. They don't want to show emotions on their profile. Like that's their brand. People don't want to be known for that. I'm the same way. You know, I don't want people to know everything that I'm feeling. Not maybe everything, but it seems like you don't even want people to know what you're feeling or seeing on social media. Yeah. I feel like that's what it's become. But even like some of the best Mm. social media influencers are now starting to be so deep and share their emotions with their viewers and people eat that up. Like anyone can relate to that. I also think people go on social media to escape reality. You know, they want to see other people being happy so they can feel happy too. I hate that. I hate that. I I want everyone to be happy, but social media is not going to be your outlet to happiness, to long-term happiness or to finding that joy that's sparking your life. I thought it was also like the envy culture. Oh, for sure. I mean, Instagram is like a whole marketing place now. They have that shopper app where you can see the top brands and see what influencers are are marketing and they want you to to buy, to continue to buy and to have that stuff. And it just makes other people feel bad and you feel like you have to fit in. You have to buy that. You have to be happy now. That's what makes me so upset. These are the people with the most followers. They have to understand on some level that part of their brand is making other people feel bad. I mean, feel aspirational, yes, but at the same time, angry that it's not them, angry that they can't do that yet, or falsely believing, like I've chased so much of this in my life, thinking that if I weighed a certain amount, I would be a certain person, is that if we have this thing, our life will look perfect, and therefore internally, we will finally be cured. Right. It doesn't happen through object. It doesn't. I want it to. I desire a certain aesthetic. Thinking that if I have fake nails, if I have fake teeth, I'm going to be someone. Honestly, I feel like it's all tied into be able to go after my dreams, like produce things, like actually put out quality content and, and all that stuff because I won't be trapped anymore and slow down because I will look a certain way. Right. But that's not the reason to pursue something. Like you're putting on a mask by doing that. And so many people do it. Getting back on Instagram was I thought so much about how it needed to look. That's why it took so long for me to get back on. Mm-hmm. And then I you know, spoke to some people about it. And they're like, listen, the reason that people open up to you is not because you look 
perfect and, and all those things. You are pretty, though. <laughs> Thank you. I, I'm gay, so I'm not hitting on <laughs> <I> you. Know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which reminds me, like, I thought the first thing I was going to say to you on this was just a comment about your looks. Because I like look at your Instagram, I think you're, like, the hottest guy. And then you see me in person, you're like, no, oh. No, you no. are, though. You're, like, so perfectly. Oh, stop. I feel like I do comment on guys' looks a lot. Is it weird? Is it is it not a great thing to do? It, is it off-putting? Like, personally, I absolutely hate compliments. So... I probably would have been a little uncomfortable by it. I crave criticism after being in theater for so long. But this is an assumption. I feel like a straight man would be like, oh my God, she's hitting on me. Or like would replay in their head that compliment thinking it meant more. I never thought that compliments could make someone feel uncomfortable. And then on top of that, it could be because you crave criticism. I think for me, I just never know how to respond to a compliment. I always feel like, antsy and anxious to like give a compliment right back. My life has not been full of compliments. I've been beaten down and bullied and have been called the worst things. So I feel like I'm used to that. And so a compliment is just like very different and uncomfortable to me. That shocks me. I would feel like you have lived off of compliments. It's crazy. Would you think that based on just seeing my social media? No, from just my energy. Yeah. From being with you that first day. And not so much a social media when I see it, it confirms what I know about you, but mm-hmm. I see that right here. Now I would think that you have lived off of compliments in your life. Yeah. Nope. Either I hide it well, or I don't know. Even now though, you're saying that you feel like you receive criticism more than compliments. Not so much now within the industry, within entertainment. Absolutely. After coming out a few years ago and learning more about myself Like I wasn't hiding behind a mask. I wasn't in the closet. I wasn't trying to hide who I was. Being my authentic self and living in a world of color allowed for those compliments. You know, Mm, I think I needed some of those compliments to help like boost my ego, to help get me comfortable being in this different life. Absolutely. Wait, so it was only a few years ago? Yeah, I was, I want to say 22 It was like towards the end of my college career. I mean, I was out to some friends. I was in a fraternity. I wasn't out to any of those brothers. And then did my second professional gig in California. Met a boy. I meet boys everywhere. They never turn out well. But that gave me my boost and my confidence to tell my parents. And it was a rough month, but like... Just a month? Rough month? It was just a month. I mean, it lingered into like that summer then... But, you know, I've had those open conversations with my parents and everything's like dandy now, Mm. which I'm so thankful for because so many young kids, even adults, just don't get that confirmation. Did you think that you would? Based on how I was raised. Yeah, I guess I was just I mean, I was nervous, obviously, to tell them I didn't really do it in the proper way either. I just kind of like dropped a bomb and walked away Mm -hmm. like a tantrum. Not a tantrum. I'm gay. (laughs) Gay, mom. No, no. Didn't come from like an angry place. It was like I was in love with, well, I thought I was in love with this boy and I was riding this high and my parents came to visit me in California to see the show and I just like was so overjoyed that I had to tell them. Yeah. Nothing worked out with him, but. But maybe it was great because it was a happy story that they were hearing. You know, like maybe the person that's coming out looks in pain. They, there's nothing positive yet. Yeah. So people are afraid. They're like, 
you can't be gay because something bad's going to happen to you. Look at you now. You look scared. Mm -hmm. And maybe you being overly confident or optimistic about it made them be hopeful for you. Yeah, off I the think bat. so. I think so. Especially now, just like talking about my sexuality so openly with them. Like I'm the same me. I still have the same drive and passion for my work. Nothing is different. Just mm -hmm. no woman. <laughs> I think what yeah. what my parents were most upset about was that they weren't the first ones I told. Which it's like, I don't know. I don't know. Like everyone comes out in a different way. And I just felt more comfortable with my friends because they weren't the ones that raised me. You know, these are people I met a couple years ago, not someone who I've been living with my whole life. Is that why they were hurt? Because they feel like, you know, no one knows you and accepts you more than them? I think so. I right. think so. And it was mostly my mom. Like she just wishes that you had felt better about her. Yeah. Or, or like better about you guys. She wished that I trusted in her more yeah. to be able to tell her first. And I, I do. I absolutely trust my parents. They've given me everything. But that's why I just, I was so attached to them that it was easier to tell someone that I didn't know as long. That's with anything too. Yeah. That's with heartbreak. That's with a relationship. I can't go to my parents first for it. I feel like a lot of people do, like their parents are their best friends. But for me, I have to tell someone that's like not as close to me about a difficult situation or. This is fascinating because this is the second time I've heard something like this. The guy that I was, you know, seeing that opened up about the girl that he fell in love with was saying to me that only certain people of his friends can know at certain points about this breakup. With one of them, that this guy that he loves, he wants to wait till he's like further along to be able to talk with him about it. And I had never heard of such a thing that there's tears of who can know. Yeah. And it sounds like in a similar way, you're saying that there's tears as well, like it starts with someone that doesn't know you that well. So I guess you can test the waters or something. Mm -hmm. And then it goes to someone that the opinion you care about most. Yeah, it's weird. That I've is spot never on. thought about this in my life that we might wait to tell people, like, look at me, this is a podcast. Everyone's going to hear it at the same time. There's no, this person first in my mind ever in my life. This yeah. fascinates me. Yeah. Wow. Like, I'm the same way with like, when I meet someone new, there's my go-to person that I tell. And then I see where this relationship is going to develop to tell more people, closer friends. And then if it gets to that point, I'll like, I'll tell my mom. Why? I guess because I don't want to be overly excited and tell everyone about something and then nothing happens. And that's usually what has happened. And then you think that people are going to eventually be laughing at you? I don't know what I expect. I'm feeling so much internally that I have to tell someone. But not everyone. But not everyone. I know. It depends. I mean, I, I have to wait for that to start spilling out. Not everyone can celebrate you, but not everyone can laugh at you either. Uh, it's the same way with an acting job, too. I have this really exciting audition coming up, and like I could see myself playing this role, and this person is casting it, and it's for this giant network, and you get all excited and expect so much and get hopeful and then you tell someone and you never hear back from that. Then it's that constant reminder from the people you told asking you, oh, whatever happened with that? And then you just feel so bad about it. Are we supposed to bottle things up? Are we supposed to keep like exciting news to ourselves? 
Are we supposed to soak in that and see where things go before telling someone? How I've been seeing it lately in my own life is that before I never held back or waited. I didn't worry for that reason, I guess, about if I looked like a fool in the end. Everyone can know now. Mm-hmm. Being impulsive or just being honest in my mind. This is what's going on. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to get this new job for a commercial. Mm-hmm. And you tell everyone. And then like, oh, nothing really came of the commercial. wasn't as exciting as I thought I was. Okay, so the joke's on me, but I'm not crushed by it. Now, though, what's stopping me is I'm like, am I just dumb to get excited about things? Do I know better now? So before I'd be really vocal about someone that I met. And I wouldn't worry if it didn't work out because I thought there was still value in being vocal early on about your excitement. I'm not worried about people criticizing me or thinking I'm over the top. Now I just wonder for myself, is this really all in your head, Chelsea? And I should know better than now to not make false narratives, maybe. Yeah. It's kind of weird. Yeah. And I feel like after every time that I experienced that, I'm like, okay, that's what I learned. Let's not do it next time. But then I I repeat the process. How does it work, you know, that you have certain people that you tell and you wait to open up about certain things with friends and family? How does it play out in a relationship, dating someone? Like the information you tell about yourself when you're dating, do you wait till certain dates until you're certain? Oh, yeah. I think it goes back to that tier. Like you don't want to share everything about you on date one. You know, you give them a little taste of who you are. You give them the basics. And then date two, you dive more into your vulnerabilities, maybe like past relationships. I don't know if that's a date two thing, but I feel like it's all a tier. Like it's this, it's a game, it's a game and you have to navigate it every time, like perfectly for things to work out. But are they? No, never. Maybe that's, you're doing the wrong fucking thing. Maybe. I know that I'm not the only one playing the game. The game. But I think that people want to be like, for the first time, this feels uncharacteristic of me. And that's because of the person across from me. And I think that's why you have to be the rare experience. The whole thing about dating, and I wish someone had told me earlier, Chelsea, if it just feels like an, you know, a podcast conversation, I would have been doing it long ago. If I just had known, it's about connecting and having conversations and seeing how deep you can get within the first date to give you the reason to see them again. Right. I realize like we're not special if we're not telling people, you know, giving them reasons to invest in us. So if we wait so long on a date, four dates in, to give them something about us, which is like the details of our lives, that's what makes them invest. That's what makes them care in us. The other stuff is like superficial, like basic qualities about us. Like hobbies and you're not learning anything. That's great. You have a podcast. What about the way you love? What are those internal characteristics that I can connect with on a deeper level? I mean, at the end of the day, if we want to spend our lives with someone, how do we go in and make sure that we're being ourselves so it's not a shock when someone finds out this or so we don't have to walk on eggshells with the person we're with? Just avoid judgment. Yeah. I had an epiphany with what you said. It's like you want to be with someone. You want to choose someone in the long run and you want them to know everything about you and you want to know everything about them and you want to love that person for their qualities, for their flaws. And it's like, why do we have to go through this many dates in order to learn these things? Why can't we just dish it all out on the, the first date? Give me all of your baggage and I will sit with that and see if I can handle it's enough it. to, yeah, to handle, to, to want to pursue. I'm the person to handle it. I think that's another thing too. 
it's not that if it's not right for me, that it means it's not right. There are other people that would be great with that dynamic or that mm-hmm. person's like flaw. Yeah. And so I'm really big on this in life, starting with the bad because then it would only get better. I feel stronger with people that I've experienced hardships with, you know, like we're all in this pandemic together, high school musical, we're all in this together. I feel like as a whole, we're all more connected. We've been through something historical Mm -hmm. and I feel like it could be the same way with the relationship. You know, you go through something very difficult and you work your way out of that and you become stronger as a couple or not. But that's why it would be so nice to be able to be on kind of loving terms with an ex, realizing like you went through something together. Yeah. You chose each other for a period of time. I don't understand. I chose someone to have a front row view to my life. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I made them more important than my family. And then I'm going to act like they're dead to me. If they didn't harm me, if they didn't, it didn't work out. I'm going to act like they're dead to me. I don't get that in life. But is that person actually dead to you? Deep down, I will continue to love that person that was so manipulative. They're inside you. Like, that's a piece of you. That's a piece of your heart. And anyone can learn from that heartbreak. So I don't feel like someone is fully dead to you. I would never want them to be. No. But what we're talking about is like integrating them into our life in terms of wisdom. Yeah. I don't truly with what I do still, like, I do not believe that that's usually what people do. They'd rather act like it's a cancel. They'd rather cancel them out. Culture. Seriously. Then be able to integrate them in the way that you reflect positively or negatively at times back on the person and can still recall them. They're special to you because you're more of someone because of them. And I hate the fact that so many of us won't acknowledge past people in our lives. Because if they're not here now, they betrayed us. They betrayed our belief in the world. They're not going to be forever. They don't want to entertain them at all. Or it was a waste of their time. Because it doesn't benefit that person. That person is selfish. I realize it's the hardest thing. When I have the capacity to still extend love to someone that I truly unconditionally loved, Mm -hmm. and I'm not allowed to, because for you, when it's over, I don't have access to you anymore. Because I didn't choose you. Yeah. <sighs> I've dealt with that three times in the past two months. They've moved on. They don't want anything to do with me anymore. And I, I don't understand that. I'm like, we've had like really nice dates. And then it's just like ghosting. And I'm like, was any of that that you said or shared with me real? I'm trying to understand why is that question important to us? Was it real for them? It's either that it's our ego or that it's that we don't want to go forward in life thinking that we can't trust in the things that we're hearing or trust in what we're feeling that it's there. That's what's hard. We want to know things are real because we want to know that we can still believe in our judgment. Yeah. I don't think it's just about this narcissism. I want to know that I was special to you. Yeah. No, I don't think it's that way either. I think it's to make sure that everything you were feeling was real, that validation But can I tell you, I really think this relates is I always thought with sex that how I was feeling about it was a direct correlation with how they felt. And so 
women has been really expansive. I thought it was for sure an indication that there was probably you know some soul connection or like yeah. that there was potential for love there in this relationship. And so for a long time, I thought it meant something about us, our connection. If it's bad, it's because we're disconnected. And I realized it's because the individuals are present for themselves and therefore it's better for you. The more that sex is for me, an expression for me, the more that I would think a man is going to say that it was more enjoyable for them. Not necessarily because I feel like I'm falling in love for that guy. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And I've had that conversation recently with some friends where when I'm with someone in bed, I feel like I feel more connected when I am pleasing a partner Mm -hmm. and I don't necessarily have sex just for myself. It's to share that intimacy and be vulnerable with another soul. Yeah. Oh, my God. But I'm like the person that never goes down on a guy. And I've never had a guy that doesn't go down on me in my life. (laughs) And so when you say about doing something and pleasing the other person, talk about a vulnerability that I am 100% avoiding is like just giving someone their own pleasure. Mm -hmm. I also feel like it's this embarrassment. I'm 33 years old. I'm going to have to like have a guy that's pretty forgiving with me. Yeah. Or I nail it out of the park on the first time. <laughs> so now it's like vulnerable for a whole different reason. Mm-hmm. I mean, you obviously have to have that physical connection in a relationship. But personally, I don't think sex is the foundation of a relationship. It's, it's not. Yeah. And I think most people who sleep around do it for themselves. It's a selfish act. Thinking about myself, how much I've been sleeping around during the pandemic, and it's been totally selfish. Have you? Oh my god! Do you do it safe? Do you wear a mask? Like, how does that work? I mean, I'm dating around during the pandemic, and that's been difficult. God, you're it's not like, gonna like my answers. Okay. I mean, I'm not judge away. Judge, okay. I don't judge. Oh my god! I I was messaging people left and right, and got on the apps for the first time. I'm like, hey, looking for a brave man, and they would come over like shocked. They also, they never had a woman ask them to come over. Then, you know, like my apartment scene shocked them because it's like, you know, candles everywhere, dark lights all the time. Club Chelsea. Club Chelsea. Like they're like, (laughs) no, this looks like a fucking sex dungeon. (laughs) Then they sit down. They know that like I'm a podcast host. They know I talk about heartbreak. It's a therapy session the whole time. And then, so then you're building that emotional connection. And then I'm having sex for the first time again. And I'm realizing, holy fuck. I feel affection toward these people, like, and it would totally change my mind about what I thought casual sex was going to be for me. Mm-hmm. I realized I think that the podcast helped me connect quickly with people in a bigger way than ever. We've bonded so I can go have sex with someone I just met a few hours ago, and it feels like fucking expansive a lot of the times. Yeah, so it's like the opposite of what you would expect. It's the opposite. And then also not worrying about, honestly, the pandemic in terms of dating. I think it really just comes down to trust, trusting that person, who they've been around, and if they've been safe during all of this. But I don't think I'm good. Like, I think I'm a very naive person. And, you know, I'm starting to feel like I've been really fortunate to be 33 and naive and be okay. Mm -hmm. But every time that I meet a new person and I, you know, sleep with them so easily and starting to think like, God, I'm, I'm being really fucking dumb here. Like, I've gotten this far. Am I really invincible? And then, like, is that, you know, it's true. People come to me, like, with trauma. People have a lot of trauma. People ghost. People Mm -hmm. just change. 
And it's like, oh my God, I'm being unsafe with people and they're like this? For this person? Why would I have done that for this? So it's getting weird for me. I'm starting to... Do you feel like that's coming from a place of loneliness because of the pandemic? I think it was like this, a little bit of like mania to overcompensate. I knew that when I had been isolated before, really bad things happened to me. Mm -hmm. I had been someone that like self-quarantined for most of my 20s. Like this shit was imposed. This was my moment to see if I had really overcome what I had done in the past in my life. Mm -hmm. The adrenaline of seeing that you no longer are who you were for so long was massive for me. Yeah. And I think it threw me into this, a little bit of like this mania with it. And I don't know, it's both. It was like, no, I wasn't feeling lonely and I was manic because I wasn't. It was like proof that I had finally dealt with my loneliness. Then I felt like maybe dating was an indication that I was learning how to deal with it in a productive way for me for the first time. And then there was excitement and shock about how I was able to handle dating, that I didn't have these meltdowns. It was like so much reassurance for myself because when I'd slept with guys before, I was not who I wanted to be at all. And I think when you start to see that you're finally have overcome it, it's like this wow moment for yourself. I mean, Absolutely. have you had um, that where you've like, see that you are different now? From dating around, from, from sleeping from, No, with from someone? like any time before, like, wow, like I don't get lonely like I used to, or it sounds like you had it during the pandemic. Yeah. As much as I am a crazy outgoing person and like crave that social life, I'm very much an independent person when I'm home. My home, my bedroom is my temple and that's my time to just like strip down all of the walls. Like I don't have to be on all the time. And mm-hmm. I feel like I crave that independency now. I think it's like, it's so healthy. You need it. You need that self-care. You need that time to just relax. One of my favorite things to do is to like, go out and just get a coffee on my own or just go to the grocery store, like sit at the park and, and mm-hmm. journal, like just being with yourself. You learn a lot. It's the most freeing thing in life to be able to know that you can do these simple things that aren't distracting you from yourself and they feel valuable alone. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was the thing that I could not do for all my adult life and it limited me so much. And to know that, like, you can just enjoy a grocery store by yourself. Yeah, Target. It's my I mean, favorite. Oh, my God. With the heartbreak, does it change that? Does it make you want to, like, go out more? Does it make you sad when you're on your own at all? I think after the most recent guy, being too independent and being so in my head was very unhealthy for me. Um, and... I dealt with that in the worst way. I'm still dealing with it where I've recently redownloaded all of my dating apps. And I hate that. I hate that that's what I have to go back to, to get those little sparks of joy, to get like a match, even though it means nothing. And I don't think relationships turn out well that come from dating apps because it's all social media and fake. So at all, like you're saying, like overall, you do not think the relationships that start there. Speaking from experience, no. I know a few people, not many, who um, have met on a dating app and it's still going well. And I hope that it goes well in the long run. But I, you just, you never know. What you're saying too is people's intentions for going on, like for you, it could be the sense of you're looking for that hit of joy, that hit of dopamine, mm-hmm. but also that it's like out of disappointment. 
That's what I wanted to make yeah. sure I really wasn't doing. I don't want to use apps because I'm disappointed that someone just let me down. So let me go find someone that won't maybe. Yeah. And then I started because I've been on these apps. People have now reached out to me to be clients. And what I've learned from that, or even not just clients, just people that have questions about what I do is the fact that they're hiring me or they need to talk about an act just shows they're here. Not because they're ready in the sense that they're resolved, but because they don't know what to do, but to start looking. I mean, that's that's kind of in the place that I'm at. So what do you do? Is it the right move? Delete the app. Should you delete that? Yeah, I I think I should. I mean, I want long term joy. I don't want just, you know, a, a month of getting all of these matches and, you know, feeling happy talking to people and getting to know someone. But I recently read an article about when you should go on the first date, like when you should meet someone after meeting them on a dating app. And psychologists and people say is that you shouldn't exchange more than 20 messages before meeting someone. If you feel like you would have a connection with them, yeah, no more than 20 messages. You should set up that first date. Because you want to get to know someone in person. You don't want to get to know someone through an app. They hide behind that. Even if you're six feet apart, like you still need to like feel that energy around someone to know if you're going to mesh well. I think I we want, mesh wait, well. I don't want you to go. Do you have to go? No. Okay. Are you are you making me leave? No, because I'm like we can talk forever. I know. I was just thinking that I think that we uh, mesh well too. Yeah. Cut you off. I was just gonna say yeah. that. If I was straight, I know. Maybe like, I would ask you. I, out. When I was listening to you, I was just like, that's what I was thinking. I'm like, why can't he be straight? I was really thinking that. I thought you were thinking, why can't he find love? That's my uh, question. So selfish, you see? (laughs) (laughs) This is like me and Ben. I'm just so selfish. Just like dating during the pandemic has been such a challenge, not only because there's a virus out there and you want to be safe, at least I want to be somewhat safe, but you know, like those five to seven months where I was at home doing nothing, like it does get pretty lonely. You know, I can convince myself that I'm so happy, but I still need that connection. And that's why I was like, you know what? Let's get on the apps. Let's find a date, even just to like meet someone new. Mm -hmm. And it was the first time like connecting with someone during the pandemic. And I think that's why I allowed my heart to just be so free. And with the first guy, that's why I felt a little heartbroken when I was ghosted. I just don't understand the whole ghosting thing. Oh my God, there's so much to say. Yeah. Really just dropped off like you really thought that you yeah were with him not with him i went on two dates i don't know if like you know the first date went well and we were like yeah we like each other let's experience another date together he had planned the date and i thought that that went really well and you know there were some red flags i like to like i have this personal thing where i i have to look for like the red flags to protect myself and this dates back to like the first guy that i was ever with who was very manipulative and mentally abusive anytime i go on a date with someone new i have like the three red flags and if they they, well no it's like i find three red flags then that's like that's a no for me what was a flag that you saw with this guy he told me on the second date that he has never loved anyone before Mm -hmm. we're close in age so i was like okay maybe he's too young but no but But i feel so mentally mature and no like i think i know what i want so you guys are at different places for sure. If he's yeah. ever loved. Yeah, absolutely. And- that was like the main red flag. You know, I FaceTimed some friends and I was like, oh my God, like I should cut things off. Right. And they were like, well, no, give it time. Like maybe you could be the first one that he loves. 
but I knew that I didn't want to be his first. You know, I wanted someone who was more mentally prepared for that. And and some people do want to be the first because there's some romance in it or there's mm-hmm. no comparison. But I think that when you're the first, you just aren't the lot. You're inspiring them to, to right. grow up and grow yeah. into it. And I think you're saying is like, you've grown into it. You want someone that can match you. So when I think someone says, I've never loved someone before, there's no foresight about how they could hurt someone. Yeah. And so I think it makes it easy for someone that hasn't loved to ghost mm-hmm. because they're it careless. All makes sense now. Yeah. yeah. Like they haven't loved, not because they haven't been given an opportunity because they bolt and they make their behavior unlovable. I mean, mm-hmm. ghosting, what I hate that it does is that it allows someone to circle back easily and the door still open. Someone can say, I went missing because it's happened mm-hmm. to me. And they give a reason that like your heart breaks for a lot of the times or they don't address it. They just get back into it with you as if things never left off. There's a opening that someone can come back to, but there's a carelessness a lot of the times and not even addressing why they left in the first Mm -hmm. place. There's a TikTok that I saw and I saved it to my phone because I need to like remind myself of it once a week. It's this woman who says closure is just wanting a verbal explanation of something they already showed you. Mm. That hits me every time I hear that because it's so true. Like, why am I waiting for an excuse when they already showed it? Like, why can't I move on from that? And it goes back to, you know, something you have this idea and you're going and showing up to see if that judgment is correct. So when you leave the person, you know that at least you can go off of your instinct, that you can trust in yourself. It's someone validating that you were right with your perception. So you can go forward and trust in yourself. I like that idea of closure. Yeah, I do too. Absolutely. It's like, I need that validation to understand the next time. If I need to do something different, when someone ghosts me, I feel like I'm the bad guy. I did something wrong and I constantly reach out to figure out like what's going on in their life or if it's something I said Did you miss something yeah. yeah yeah someone that's ghosting is literally bolting they're avoiding crucial conversations yeah you might have done something wrong you might have shown your own like three red flags on that second date absolutely yeah and it would be so worthwhile for you to find out if that was the case if someone instead of being like fuck them this is a waste of my time they mm-hmm. had these three red flags I wish we could just go back and say, hey, I saw these three red flags or flags for me. Mm-hmm. This is just feedback going forward. God, I feel like that would make me like want more if someone was so honest with me about what they saw in me and my red flags. That criticism, I feel like would be so sexy to me to see in someone, but you never get that. Are you someone that likes to be put down in relationships? No, it, this is not coming from like a, no. I get off by being played. <laughs> Absolutely not. No, it's a, I think it's the idea that you're with someone that has a front row seat to you that had this different dynamic that like your parents will never have you with you, mm-hmm. that you'll never have with your friends. And they saw you in a different way that other people do not. Right. And so you want to hear from them, period. Yeah. But then going back to the whole dating is a game aspect, you don't want to constantly reach out to them after they ghost you. You don't want to come across as being like so vulnerable or being too attached or clingy. There's a difference. You can be vulnerable and be assertive. The clinginess and all that, that gets to the point where this is a person that's not accepting reality. Mm-hmm. This is goes back to like that you shouldn't have to be told. They're showing you. They are yeah. not interested or unwilling to talk with you. 
And so I think that there's like a, a limit that you have to set with yourself. You can be vulnerable and say, hey, this confusion hurts me and for these reasons that are valid. And if you could just tell me what this is so I know how to navigate dating going forward. Yeah. I mean, there was this guy that I saw and he told me that guys abandon women, basically ghost, because they can't handle the conflict. Not that he doesn't like them, just he can't handle it because he doesn't know how to do it. I had a great time with him. Something was going on with his dad, supposedly. And he kind of did the same thing to me. It was the greatest night. We were supposed to see each other Wednesday, never heard from him, and it was gone. Then I saw he unmatched me. Mm. So I decided to do this. I wrote him this message that said, hey, because I know this can be difficult. He told me that. I wanted to make things like super easy. What's going on here? A, uh, busy with dad. B, uninterested. C, all of the above. D, something else. Mm -hmm. And he actually wrote back and he said, busy with my dad. Uh, You know, I'm really sorry. After the conversation that I had with you, you really made me rethink what I'm doing and that I'm no good for anyone right now because of his dad. But I realized that there was something vulnerable about, I think I could have been more vulnerable. I saw you deleted me, but I think Mm -hmm. it was clear. Yeah. And in a way that I thought that he would be able to be receptive about, an easy way for him, I adjusted what I said to vulnerably try to get guidance and direction and feedback. And he actually was responsive. But then it was on me to believe him and to not continue after him, to believe that that was actually the case. He's busy with his dad, that he's no good to anyone. Believe him and don't chase him. Do you think that helped you? Yeah, it gave me direction. Because there's this weird thing. It's like, I want to live up to what I do. I want to challenge myself for others too and see what works. And I also don't want to play dumb in this world. We were into each other. You talked about us dating. Mm -hmm. We were supposed to see each other the other day. Am I supposed to act like that wasn't the case like you are? Because I don't want to be another person in the world that acts like nothing's happening. I can make nothing of it after, but to act like nothing's happening is to be another person that I can't stand and that is hurtful to people. They're careless. So I think that after someone ghosts you, I think it's right to be able to try to get someone to acknowledge it or to acknowledge it openly to yourself, to them. But then it's completely on you to do the Maya Angelou quote that is, you know, when someone shows you who they are, believe them the first time. Believe them the first time. Yeah. Okay. So I've, I've never heard that before. Like people always say, you know, just cut them off. If they're going to ghost you, just ghost them. Don't give it a second thought. And I'm like, no, I want to keep playing this game. I want to like understand what this person is dealing with. I don't think you can look at it and, as a game. But like what you said, like the way that you drafted that message to make it more about him, him. so that he can talk about his yeah. feelings and also give you some direction, not coming from a place of like, why aren't you messaging me back? This is the thing you can't. I mean, right. you have to be trying to think from their standpoint and give them an out too. make it easy for them, encourage them to respond, not have them be put on the defensive. I hear over and over about people that say things like, why haven't I heard from you? the times things are actually going on in people's life i know this guy that like was seeing a woman she knows that he has kids on the week and she was sending horrible messages about why he hadn't planned another date and he was like you know i have kids you know i'm with the kids this week they're not even looking at my dynamic why would i want a relationship with them Mm -hmm. so by accusing people of things even if you're right 
it makes them feel like they're making me have to defend myself rather than inviting them to just share. And I think somehow it has to be an invitation to share rather than feeling like they either are going to ignore you, which is going to be a message, or they have to defend themselves against you. Yeah. Oh, that's such good advice. Think about the other person. I ended up seeing a guy, I still talk to him now, that ghosted me. Because you you reached out? Because I reached out. In, In a proper way? Well, I learned a lot from this. Because this was like when ghosting was pretty early. I think mm-hmm. I felt a little bit on my own with it. And it was shocking to me. I had had this relationship with someone. Our families were involved. When someone ghosts you, it almost feels violent. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like someone, It feels personal. It's a change in behavior that seems so drastic that it's shocking. And at the time when this happened, I so believe in telling people who they should be. And saying that this is why this is morally wrong. You don't do this to people. It was kind of, I haven't heard from you, but it was more than that. It was, this is what it means to be someone that doesn't do this. Virtue signaling. Mm -hmm. And then I started to realize that they were never going to hear me because you put people on the defense and you make it all about yourself in this way. And what it was really telling me is like who I needed to be in the world, how I can't treat other people. Like this is obviously important to me. How do I ghost people in life? How do I do these things? I can't do them. It gave me direction. And it made this person kind of inspirational in a way because I realized who I didn't want to be. That was a wake-up call. So that was one way I dealt with it originally with him is like virtue signaling. And my dad at the time said, why would you ever do that? You never burn a bridge. So for a year, I really thought about this guy. I felt like he had saved me in the sense that if I had been with him, I would have been in a pattern that I had been trying to get out of for years of long distance. Thank God he disappeared because I never would have looked at myself. Otherwise, I would have done what I had always done. So thank God. But I wanted to be honest with myself that I was still thinking of him. And I wanted to see if I had actually gotten stronger, if I could deal with this. So I called him up when I was in Miami and he picked right up. He said, in the moment that you were calling me, I realized you're a better person than me. And I didn't want that. I wasn't expecting that. But I think it said something is that a lot of people, because of their pride or whatever it is, they can't talk to you, they avoid conflict. Then that person thinks, what I did was so bad, I will never hear from this person unless it's to tell me off. And I did it. And I went to his house, we got together, and he acted like nothing had happened. And then he started telling me at a certain point that he got engaged, and he showed me, and I broke down in tears. And my friends at the time thought I was going to get angry with him and look for answers, get closure in the sense of talk it out, rehash it, Mm -hmm. understand it. What's a sorry going to do at this point? What are answers going to do? I have my own answers. I had to get closure on my own. The guy ghosted me. It was purely to see, you know, how brave I was. And I wanted to show him that there was better ways to come in and out of someone's life. You don't have Mm -hmm. to do this. You have to be an example in this world of, one, if you don't like the way someone behaves, show people what you could behave like. And then two, it was to see how I would respond. And I broke down in tears. And in that moment, when I broke down in tears, he finally acknowledged that we had been in a relationship. It was all an act before to avoid having to talk about what happened. How long can I fool Chelsea and I that I didn't ghost her? And she wasn't really angry about it at one point. Like there's sadness behind our anger. And if you don't show people your sadness, they have no reason to lean into you. They will have no reason. 
you have to allow yourself to be hurt in a way, hurting in, in a way that isn't blaming someone. It's just showing them like, this is really what has happened for me. Mm-hmm. I remember writing an article about it that like I'd always heard about you either forgive or you forget. And I said, I don't think it's any of that. It's about acceptance. It's definitely telling me, don't forget this. Mm-hmm. Because it did something to me. I gave my time to this. And it's not saying you have to forgive someone because sometimes like you don't have to forgive like what they did. It could be unforgivable for you. Yeah. But acceptance is acknowledging that I can understand why they did it, but I will never be someone that can understand how they did it because I will never do what they did. So I can't rationalize, excuse, or forgive how they did it, how they treated me because I won't treat people like that. But why they did it, is they are this person or whatever reason they give, I can accept that. Mm-hmm. And if you can accept people, you can circle back to them right. if you want. Yeah. Or you could just have a different relationship with who they were in your life. This is so much to take in. And it's like, it's making me emotional. Just like thinking about all of that and hoping that I can apply some of those things to past relationships. It's a process. Absolutely. These things that are happening to us are like no mistake. Like there are opportunities for us. We can either be reduced from them or we can use them like to our maximal effect. Understand ourselves better. We can handle these things and we know what not to do. I would like to think that, you know, I would commiserate from the start, but then I would like to be able to help someone out and give them the guidance and the wisdom that I've learned. But I'm still learning that. I'm still trying to get through that. It's true. Like I I definitely aim for wisdom, but there's value in letting people see who you are right now with it. So soothing to listen to you talk and to hear your stories. I think for me though, it's thinking about vulnerability. Like I'm such an open book and I like put everything out on the table when I'm on a date or even with like a friend. And it's like, well, okay, next time I meet someone, do I need to like not be my authentic, vulnerable self? Do I need to hold back from sharing too much so that it's not like too much for them to handle at the start? Do I need to come up with a tier of like what I can share? This idea of having to pace ourselves, I do think that there's an element of not accepting ourselves, of thinking that we can only be handled in doses. Mm -hmm. We have to ask ourselves why we're sharing something with someone. But I think ultimately, like you're looking for someone that can be there with you. Right. And you're looking at this moment to find someone that is a match. You don't want to live in fear that someone is buying into you. They don't really know yet about this thing that could change it all. It puts so much weight as if this thing that you're hiding is horrible about yeah. you. Again, it's something that hasn't been integrated into what makes you good. It's like I tell people about my eating disorder. I never have thought about like that might be for someone like I don't want to go on this journey with her because, you know, she might fall backwards, which to me is like a total lack of faith in who I am. That, that wouldn't happen. Mm-hmm. Or I never account for like people don't want to hear about an eating disorder. But I think that there's an element of me that's like, I know that it's made me who I am. So if they're going to be interested in me, that is why I am the way I am. That's a big reason. And two is that I don't want to have shame about the thing that happened in my life. It doesn't need to be protected. There's stigmas about things. Mm -hmm. It makes it that it's still unforgivable. It's still so unattractive. And I think that we have to think about the things that we're maybe holding back is like, How can they be some of our more attractive qualities? 
if someone knew this about me and they're a compassionate person, maybe they would invest in me. Maybe they would care about me because they know this about me now. But if we always lead about the things that you would share with anyone, no one feels special. It's like being in the closet again, you know, having that secret and you just want people to accept you for who you are. And I feel like on a date, I am that person. I'm out of the closet, but it's like, I'm not sure what that aspect is that I'm holding back. You don't know. You don't, I don't even know hold it, back. Or you don't feel no. like you hold back. I don't feel like I hold back. And because you're someone that doesn't have to hold back, I think that you should be using dating and your vocalness as a weeding out of other people. Mm-hmm. I think you need to start embracing a little bit more like your worth and your value yeah. and be like, if people can't match me there, if it was too much for them, then why would I be smaller for them? Why would I be smaller for anyone yet? If they can't handle it, they don't have a tolerance for life like I do. You need to find someone with a tolerance for life like you. Yeah. And so I think that it's a way of weeding people out. Mm -hmm. I've never thought of it that way. All my stuff is out there. And I remember a friend saying to me, when that guy ghosted me, he had read all of my writing. And she goes, you've got to stop sharing your writing. These guys read you. And they know exactly how to talk to you. And honestly, for 90 seconds, I really gave it some thought. Then I thought, my whole life I've been doing this. And it brings me immense therapy for me to let one person that ghosted me or any person change the way that I have been before I knew them would be to give all the power away and to live in fear now. Mm-hmm. And I didn't do that. And what happens now is that, of course, this stuff is humbling. Of course, this isn't all of me. I mean, I stopped these interviews and putting them out for a while because I was so humiliated by how I sounded, humiliated by it. You shouldn't be, though. But at the same time, it's like, if I'm with someone, they're going to be growing up alongside of me. They're going to see that happening. Yeah. And it also weeds people out. If they see something on here that they don't like, it is who I am. Yeah makes it easier for me because I know that the people that are meeting up with me or the people that see me a second time are showing up because they really want to see more of me. They like what they saw and they're into it. I I don't talk about all the happy times. I think I come across as happy with people, but like I don't do that whole song and dance. Yeah. I I love that about you. And I love that about your podcast is that you don't hold back. You're not afraid to show your emotion. And I think people are scared of that. I think it's such a power move to be so emotional and to just be your true self. But people are unattracted by that. They think it's too vulnerable or it's too vulnerable for that person Mm -hmm. because they aren't that way. And they aren't necessarily, I guess, ready to understand themselves. I was messaging, I guess, a friend, you know, there's nothing more between us. We were playing like truth or dare. We were being such children about it. And I loved that, just being a kid again. Um, And maybe that was my way of coping from the last guy. I don't know. but You were enjoying it nonetheless. Yeah, I was asking, like, you know, anytime he would say truth, I would ask him a deep question because I wanted to get to know him. I wanted to see how emotional he could get. And after a few questions and after answering some, I was like, I'm sorry, like, is this too much for you? And he was like, no, I, I love getting to know you and I, I love being vulnerable, but not all the time. Mm. And I was like, okay, okay. So like in increments, like I, it's okay right. to be vulnerable with him. But like me, I love just like, 
I could do it all like, the if time. If I could just like, sit with someone and cry and like dish everything out, I would love that just to like be emotional and connect with someone else and understand what that person is going through too. You know, I learn from other people as well. Why would you be tailoring this side of you for others? Like if you're not overwhelmingly this way, like you understand that there needs to be this levity to things, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. What if I'm not being vulnerable enough? Like what if I'm using too much of my humor and maybe that's like what's turning people off. But like for my mm-hmm. friends, like that's what they that's love. what they love about me is I'm just so unfiltered. Isn't that why we should be dating so we can ask people? If we not, should then, all want to date to help each other. I realize, like I've been convinced by my own perspective in life. And you've said so many things since being here where I'm like, wow, I'd, I never thought that'd be his perspective. That's why it would be so valuable to hear from someone. And that doesn't mean you have to choose it, but it would be interesting to know how people, if they didn't think you were vulnerable. Mm. Because if you really want to be vulnerable and no one tells you that you're not actually being, how do you become it? It's like, help me the fuck out. I don't get it. Yeah. I don't get even with friends. Like, give me feedback. I can take it or leave it. But what if I really want to take that feedback? Because I had no idea. Right. And sometimes those are the hardest conversations. We should get a caller in here. I know we should. Call, Let's call take a up caller. One of my exes, or exes, someone I went on a date with and asked. I think what breaks our heart are the stories we tell ourselves. And nowhere do we stand by our truth more, but also are more off about others than with relationships. Mm-hmm. I think it would be fascinating getting your take on what went wrong or like what your theories are. We all have theories yeah. and then getting his perspective. And if we all find out perspectives rarely align, how would that change how we handle things? Yeah. I don't think that we think that we're wrong a lot of the times because we don't talk to each other. Right. I think it would be so beneficial for people. I agree. Cause I'm sure he has his reasoning and I have my reasoning and I'm sure he thinks that I'm thinking this way and vice versa. I think also like, oh, I can never reach out because like this and like little does he know. Or you think of him this way. I've been meaning to text an old friend, a good Mm -hmm. friend um, who moved out of the city. And I think about her like almost every day and I want to text her, but she doesn't text me. Like, I know I should be the better person, but I don't want her to think that I'm being ingenuine by reaching out. And it's like, that could make her day. I just have no idea. Like, I don't, I don't want to feel like she thought I had to reach out to her because of this. If someone said that they were thinking about me, that's all we want in life is to know someone's thinking about us. And you don't have to say that anything is like, you know, attached to it. Like, again, you know, there is a way to say something so someone doesn't feel defensive so that they feel like you're just thinking about them. Mm -hmm. You're being about them. People want to feel important. We want to think that we're in someone's dreams at night and we mm-hmm. want to think that we're in someone's thoughts. I like, I love waking up to those text messages like, hey, you're in my dream or hey, just woke up thinking about you. Hope Shut you up. You well. get that. I don't get that. Sometimes. Yeah. And it's just like, it, it's just that like bolt of warmth and like feeling accepted. I think it's more of a question of you being sure that you're being genuine. Yeah. Sending it. Right. Not about actually that you're afraid that she's going to see it as disingenuous. But like you want to make sure for yourself that the intention is genuine and you're only comfortable sending it if you have confidence in that. Because then you wouldn't worry if she reads it differently because you would trust that that's not where it's coming from. Right. 
As long as I know that it's coming from a good place. A good place. Yeah. Perception is everything. Someone's perception is reality. At the end of the day, too, it's like, I kind of get the quotes now. Like, why is it your responsibility? If she's in a place where she's going to doubt your intentions, that's her place. Yeah. You shouldn't limit your love. Like, seriously, like, you're not going to be attracting someone that gives love back if you are walking around withholding it. You're not going to get it genuinely. I think too many people, they reserve loving gestures for a person and then they feel like oh my god that person was wrong and you retreat it's like no you have to be a loving person constantly that you would give it to anyone but you're asking yourself whose love do i want to receive right because you give it to everyone it's not that big of a deal anymore who you give it to Mm -hmm. it becomes whose life do i want to share mine with knowing that you are really offering something and you've got that And it's you that's choosing. And therefore, it's you that's sending a message because that's what feels good for you. And if it doesn't for someone else, unfortunately, it's their problem. More and more in my life, I'm like, that seems like a you issue. Right. And it it makes me wonder if I love too easily. Am I just like sharing my heart with everyone? Why is it bad? It's not. It's not. Everyone should just want to spread their love and joy to each other. If it actually is, you're just able to do it and you're not looking, and it seems like you're not, like you're someone that's saying that you're not looking for compliments all the time. No, if it's not, not. Like, if it's not you just saying these things because you want something echoed back, I think limiting it is like really limiting kind of qualities of yourself that come easily and that are natural to you. And then therefore you go through life feeling unnatural. Like the point of you coming out even is to live a natural life. Mm-hmm. You should give yourself that gift of not restraining yourself in other areas that are especially positive. Yeah. Sometimes there is something to be said about realizing, okay, maybe it's like I'm the leader of this and I'm not going to find people that will do the same thing. And maybe I, I do give too much and I give easily. But why is that a threat? Why we turn that into giving easily as a threat? I say to people, people don't need to earn my love. People don't need to earn these things. That's who I am. Right. Same. They're not special because they got the side of me. I give the side of me because it's who I am. Mm -hmm. It just becomes about like, who do I choose and who do I make sense with? And that's a different thing. It is. Is there like a question, a pressing question or something that you want to say that would, that would help you right now? I guess it's just like everything is on me to, make a decision on whether or not I want to follow up with someone or try to continue to move on and learn about myself and like the way I get over someone, I guess like how to navigate, like moving forward. Like last week was such a difficult week for me. I woke up every day depressed. I nonstop had him on my mind and was like trying to talk to my therapist about it, but like that conversation wasn't going anywhere. So it was just like me trying not to think about him and trying not to reach out to him. And it's been like a week since I texted him, uh, still no response. And it's like, do I want to reach out again in a better way and like try and figure out what he's dealing with and what he's thinking? Or do I just like stop texting him? Do I delete the the number? I said, I can't keep playing these back and forth games right? because He'll message me on Instagram. We'll have like conversations there and then I'll send him a text and he won't respond to the text. 
And it's like, I totally understand, you know, he's, he's a doctor, he's working the night shifts. Like that's a difficult life, you know, sleeping all day and then waking up to go to work. I understand that. And he was upfront with that from the start. But if you have time to respond to me on Instagram, why aren't you responding to a deeper text message after when they're uh, possibly after like three days of not hearing anything, he did reach out last week and said, Hey, so sorry for ghosting you. This has been my schedule. I haven't had time for anything else like personal. And then he was like, how are you doing? And, you know, I was honest. I sent him a long Instagram message and told him how I was feeling and what I was dealing with that week. And then, like, I was trying to be, like, a little flirty. Maybe it came across the wrong way. But I said, it's going to take a lot more than an Instagram message with, like, a little emoji to try and lighten the mood. Mm -hmm. And he texted me right away. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, maybe this is going somewhere now. And then he would ask a question. I would respond and then nothing. Mm -hmm. And it's like this constant game of, like, hey, how are you doing? I don't actually care. I'm not going to respond, but like, here's something to remind you of me. You know, oh, I, it's like, have you heard about breadcrumbing? I've heard of it. I don't know much about it. It's, it's like, yeah, like they give you just a little bit and like, yeah. and people are like, you know, ultimately you can't create a loaf, which in this case would be like love or relationship, right. with like these bits, but it keeps people from becoming completely starved and empty from someone. It gives them hope. It mm-hmm. sprinkles out some hope. Yeah. I just think it's an indication that there's a lack of follow through. Yeah. And that's where it's like reading between the lines or seeing, hey, this is hasn't been playing out the way that I need for a relationship to look like. So this person can't give me the depth of what I need. Yeah. I mean, I think that you saying that you can't play these games anymore is a statement, you know? Yeah, and he hasn't responded since. And I think that often we say these statements thinking that they're going to encourage someone to fight for us or fight for it or fight for something. And I think other people sometimes do read it as this person is stating a boundary or they're over it and they're respecting that because they know that they can't give anything else or they don't care to, you know, they don't care to make you feel better about it. Right. But I think that's why you have to check your intentions all the time about the things that you say. Sometimes like, you know, statements are promises that we're trying to make to ourselves. That mm-hmm. sounded like a promise you're making. Yeah. If you say something else, it will show that you weren't serious about what you said. And people can play with that. So if you say something and then you take it back by sending another message, it shows that there's this instability with you. Yeah. That nothing's grounded. The emotions that you have that are positive might not be grounded. People can assume. And the negative ones you have, there's no weight to it. Yeah. So I think that's the problem that you get into when you respond too quickly. I think that the only way that someone can hear you after they've been avoiding you or after you had this strong reaction is for time and for you to actually come back with a different reflection. Yeah, that was my bold statement. And then I was like, I, I, I can't respond again. Like yeah. I already said that. I'm going to be the one showing that I'm like, I I am willing to play these games because I want you. The game is a high to you. It's not actually a kind of like this moral thing that you're against. It's something that you can get into because Mm -hmm. you don't have a standard. You just don't want to. Oh, I do. I've got high standards. You do, but but it shows that you don't. Right. No, because you're letting him get away with it. Exactly. It shows that you don't have a high standard. So then at this point, it would make sense to not respond again. 
Gosh. not come back with anything. Like unless he were to say something, right, but right. to not follow up after you sent a message about that you wouldn't. And I'm not saying don't ever follow up, mm-hmm. but there would have to There's be a time. Better, yeah, I yeah. know. Like after I sent that, there was a better way to word that or to like understand what he was going through. I feel very needy reaching out. I don't need to talk to someone 24 seven. Like, yes, I have trust issues from previous people, but it's not on that deep of a level. It's just like having that communication every few days, like, Hey, it's going to be a busy week of work. Like let's catch up at the end of the week. Just that reassurance and like continuing to build that trust is all I'm asking for. That you know that someone trying to like have some momentum forward much leeway do you give people to take things slowly and to reveal themselves, like you've said, over time? Should I be patient with that? Is the rush to be all in it from the beginning, is that real? I don't know. I mean, I definitely get excited about the newness of someone, like that excitement of meeting someone and feeling a connection and wanting to dive deeper into that. Yeah, because it feels like, you know, you've been building toward it. You've been waiting for this. Right, it seems exactly. like exactly. And I do it with every single new guy that I meet. But is that the problem, like, too? Is that, like, maybe you're doing it too often? Right, Because you I want everyone so. to be exciting. Yeah, but I don't want to go into the next one being too guarded. Just make sure that you're not assigning importance like of that nature to everyone. Just maybe look at the people that are ghosting. Either it's, like, really an epidemic of this, or you're attracting certain types because there's something that you're not ready to dive into yourself. I think for me, in order to get intimate and like to be fully vulnerable, like I have to understand them. I have to get to know them first. Like before hooking up with someone, I have to know them as a person first, at least a little bit. Like I'm not one to sleep around. I can't just like get on an app and meet someone and not even know their name. Like I can't connect with someone on a deeper level than that. So I think when I get past that point of like, oh, wow, there is some connection between us. Like, and then you get to experience that in bed. I don't know. I, I, I get so hopeful and I'm like, wow, like yeah. they're into me too. Yeah. I'd rather, I think, believe in people and make sure I'm not being completely delusional with them myself. Become someone that can withstand the shock and the surprises of life. That's like my test mm-hmm. rather than just being so cautious. I think for me, it's it's trying to find qualities that I have in someone else. And there was a time in life where I, I met someone and he was very similar to my personality. And I was like, wow, this is like, this is me. I met myself. But I was turned off with how upfront he was about things. And I know I'm that way. Like I'm, I'm very forward. I move very quickly. I get attached on a deeper level. And when he felt that way towards me, I had to cut things off. I was so uncomfortable and right. taken back by it. I, I learned a lot from him and I, I've been trying to like, to be better at that. I love that you took it in as this is not just a him thing. This mm-hmm. feels like me. This yeah. feels like who I am. This I saw feels myself like- in him. And I think it shows you that it's not a joke when people say like they're afraid of intensity, vulnerability. With that actor, he was very probing. And I don't know if I liked his approach as much. I think mine's a little bit better, but I started to realize like, oh, I think that's why people have said to me, I might need a few months away from you to process everything before we hang again. Like that was just so much. Sometimes like you need this weird way, like a little bit of a mirror back 
just to be aware of your power too. There's power in this intensity and this this forwardness. It's powerful. And I think you have to be aware of that power and adjusting your power so people can receive it well. Yeah, you know, like, right. I think there's a responsibility to being someone that is more forward than others, that feels more capable in these ways that other people are afraid. But you have to make sure that your delivery doesn't scare people from it because that defeats the purpose. Yeah, it's finding the proper approach to things. I think that's my charge, finding that way to be myself, but maybe not uh, as powerful, maybe not as um, as strong from the start. I mean, I'm totally like, I think it's healthy to take things slow and like one step at a time, but like still being authentic and true to yourself mm-hmm. and your intentions. I coined the word break upward, break upward. And break I'm curi- upward. Yeah. yeah, I love that. And I'm curious what it might mean to you. Break upward. The first thing I pictured when you said that was breaking through that glass ceiling during uh, in Willy Wonka. Mm. Moving upward and onward from a breakup or from a relationship, you know, finding the positives in things. And I'm a very optimistic person, so I'm always trying to uh, you know, find the joy and, and find the positive in a messy situation. And I think breaking upward is just like, like sprouting a new life, taking something from that past and mm-hmm. growing into something new. Mm-hmm. I love that. My audience where they can find you. I'm like off and on social media, but most places you can find me at Patrick J. Clark with an E at the end, silent E, silent. not like the Clark bar. <laughs> I don't even know about the Clark the bar. The Clark bar? Oh, it's it delicious. Chocolate? Yeah, I don't they make it anymore. I used to like campaign in middle school with a Clark bar and I would like draw on an E at the end of it. <gasps> this awesome. is not sponsored by <laughs> Clark, Clark Bar. If this episode resonated with you, it would mean the absolute world if you could pass it on and let other people know about it. How you can support this podcast is really just sharing it, telling people about it. If you know someone that's hurting in their heart, tell them about Thank You Heartbreak. And if you want to be a guest on Thank You Heartbreak, reach out to me. You can find me on Instagram at Thank You Heartbreak, or you can email me directly at Chelsea, C-H-E-L-S-E-A, at BreakUpward, B-R-E-A-K-U-P-W-A-R-D, And if you're interested in one-on-one coaching sessions, you can visit my website, breakupward.com slash shop, where you can check out directly from my site. It's a super, 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 super simple process. Of course, I will answer any of your questions before you book. And again, you can email me at chelsea at breakupward.com. There's many different coaching options. And I would love to show up for you as you begin to show up in more wise and clarifying and secure ways for yourself. Thanks for listening, everyone.